Welcome to episode 9 of the Don't Tell God podcast. Uh, my name is Alicio and I am the host. Now, in case you don't know much about this podcast, let me explain to you why I do this podcast. Now, the purpose of this podcast is to give pastors and leaders a platform to be genuine and open about their life, faith and ministry. Now, a new episode arrives the first Thursday of the month, so if you don't want to miss out on an episode, make sure you follow this podcast on whatever platform you listen to, and feel free to follow me on Instagram at Don't Tell God. Now, on today's episode, uh, I actually interview uh, the senior pastor or senior minister of Motel Early Baptist Church, Matthew Archibald. Now, I've known Matt for about five years, uh, but you know, doing this interview with him actually gave me a, a new insight on on what he thinks and how he thinks, and he really is full of knowledge and wisdom. Uh, on this episode, we chat about multiple things, uh, but the three things I want to pick out uh, that I think are very valuable are in regards to preaching. So he shares a little bit about his his uh, style of preaching and the way he prepares ministry perseverance for him and his family, and also the role of the local church. Enjoy this episode. All right. Well, uh, Matt, welcome to the podcast. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I don't think you've done a podcast before. You you, you do like Facebook Live and stuff. Is that right? Yes, but I never podcasted before, so new to me, mate. Yeah, new to you. Well, um, no, it should be good. Great. And uh, for those listening, uh, just a bit of context here. Matt's actually the boss. So he's my boss, and um, he's a senior pastor here at MOBC, so it's good to have him on. And uh, the first question I want to ask you, Matt, is uh, it's been maybe just under a year now that you've been uh, officially the senior pastor here. Um, How are you enjoying it, and uh, is it what you thought it would be like in regards to being a senior minister? Mm. The staff have been more difficult than I thought they yeah, would be. Of course, of course. <laughs> Especially the youth pastor, eh? Oh, crumbs. <laughs> um, it, it, uh, I don't know about expectations, um, but I am enjoying it and I'm enjoying it a lot and I'm enjoying it more than I thought I would, to be truthful. I'm not sure okay. why um, or, or how to articulate that but um i'm enjoying the challenge and um what being in the role has has done for me um my faith and um and working with with you and the other staff and the team here yeah really really enjoying it so and i and i say that really sincerely um probably i haven't had enough time for any failure to come in yet and spoil the party but um yeah first impressions nearly a year into the job uh that i'm I'm greatly enjoying it feeling really privileged um and uh and glad that that you know i made the decision to to do that and that the church um took me on so yeah really happy mate yeah no it's been it's been a blessing it's been a good good move by the church so has it has it always been your aspiration to to be a senior pastor? Like, I guess most people who get into ministry, you know, will, will hopefully they think, you know, I'll move up the the ladder and get yeah. to senior pastor one day. Was that for you? Was that the case, or was it different? No, no. Um, I really just wanted to to be teaching the Bible. Um, 
and, and to have the opportunity to do that. So it really didn't matter to me uh, what forum that happened in or what position I had whilst I had the opportunity to, to do that. Um, yeah, and I was pretty content to be an assistant pastor, um, very content. So, yeah, it's not something I started out with some with, with a kind of vision of myself in a certain type of leadership. Mm. Um, yeah, it, 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 that's not a, a humility thing that I'm talking about. That's just, yeah, it, it wasn't a big big deal to me one way yeah. or the other years ago going into ministry and and ha- had not been um, something that really played on my mind very much until very recently. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And so uh, you, you mentioned in, in that answer that, you know, you really just want to teach God's word. Yeah. Um, one of the things or one of the questions I noted down here was that, you know, I, I've, um, you know, be here, been here at MOBC for about five years and I, I know that, you know, you teaching and preaching is definitely a gift that you have. Um, who's influenced you in, in regards to your preaching and teaching? Like has there been anyone that's really helped you or guided you um, and maybe, you know, what, what do you do? What's, what's the rundown of, you know, when you prepare for a sermon? Um, yeah, what's, what's any tips, any tricks? What, yeah, what happens there? Yep. Um, the people who have influenced my preaching most have been practitioners just listening to people that I, whose sermons I like mm. and, um, and, and asking myself, why do I get something out of their preaching? Why has it helped me? Um, and, and what is it that they're doing that's helping people? Um, my favourite uh, preachers in Australia, I think, would be guys who probably may or may not be known to people, but a guy named Mike Rater. Mm. Um, he was the head of the missions department at Moore College when I was there. He's a really tremendous preacher, um, and I believe he teaches a lot of preaching now. Uh, Ray Galea, who's a pastor of Rudy Hill Anglican Church and a pretty well-known preacher around the place. Um, those guys preach with real clarity, faithfulness to the Bible, but a tremendous uh, gift for illustration, storytelling, mm. um, moving the congregation. Um, uh, my favourite overseas preachers would be Alistair Begg, a Scottish preacher who has a church in Cleveland, Ohio, in the States, and Tim Keller is uh, a, a hero of mine. Um, yeah, so those would be the big influences on me over the years, um, just watching, listening to people who uh, speak. Well, you know, other heroes of mine, like somebody like John Piper, you know, I wouldn't take after his preaching style. Um, he, he doesn't do much for me as a preacher as such. You know, I love his books and things, um, but, uh, you know, he's, he's pretty heavy-duty um, kind of preacher. So he he's not sort of who I would look to to um, to, to try and uh, emulate. Um, as far as preparation, you, I think you asked about preparation. Did yeah. Um, if that's okay with you, I don't know if you know. Yeah. So maybe some people from MOBC will listen to this and be like, uh-huh. okay, I know his secret. No, this is what he's doing. Um, 
yeah, preparation, you know, don't overdo it. No, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> do lots of preparation. Um, get your preparation done early if you're an aspiring preacher or a new pastor. Uh, be yourself. So everybody, I'm sure, prepares sermons in different ways and good preachers prepare in a million different ways. But for mm. me, I follow a very set pattern. Um, you know, I look at the text uh, first, so I, I break the text down into its parts. I, I observe it as carefully as I can. I read over it many times. Um, if I have time to translate the text, I'll translate the text. Um, so I just work on comprehension. Um, then I ask questions and I try to investigate what I don't understand. Um, then I ask myself how it fits into the sweep of scripture. I might just jot down a few things. Um, I draw up a page in which on half the page, I write down illustrations on the other half of the page. I write down my application, mm -hmm. um, as I'm going through the week so that hopefully at the end, um, I've got lots of illustrations and applications to choose from, um, I write down on another sheet of paper. This is all writing by hand. Um, BQ, that means big questions. BI, that means big idea. And SW, that means so what? And so at the top of the page, I'm writing what I think the big question or questions of the text are, what the one big idea of the text is, hmm. and uh, the application is so what? You know, who cares? Why are you listening to this? Sam Chan, who taught me um, preaching 20 years ago uh, when he was discipling me and a, a few other people, said, you know, you need to assume that the congregation or the audience do not want to be there and they do not want to listen. Now, that wow. is not true. That's not always <laughs> true. He said, you must assume in your preparation that your listeners do not want to be there and they don't care what you have to say. So you you have to um, uh, uh, make it that the person wants to listen. You know, why am I listening to this? You know, does it answer a fundamental question that I'm asking, uh, that the world is asking? And uh, at the end of the sermon, you know, you, you need to be able to say, well, so what? What difference does this make? So you're moving from a, a pressing real question issue that's come out of the text, not out of your head, out of the text and driving toward something that that is um, real in the application of the test because that's what preaching is. It's not a theology lecture. It's an explanation of the Bible that aims for real change, life change, change of emotions, change of thinking, change of behaviour. So, yeah, uh, big question, big idea, so what? And, uh, and then after all that, after four or five hours stretched over a week or a week and a half, um, then, then I might read some commentaries, um, and uh, and 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 there, and then I make a whole bunch of notes and I color code them, and then I sit down and I write the sermon in one hit. Um, and, and this is all by pen and paper, is that right? Yeah, I oh. type the sermon, so I don't okay. type anything until I until I write the sermon. Okay. Um, and I spread out all my notes, and I have a very detailed plan. Um, handwritten detailed plan, two, three, four points, whatever it is, with my illustrations noted, my application noted, 
Um, I've worked out what my big words are and whether I'm going to do use alliteration and all that sort of stuff. And then I write the sermon and it takes me about uh, three, two or three hours to write a half hour sermon and I, I do it in one hit um, and, and then it's done. And then I read through it and rehearse it and away we go. Yeah, that's great. Now, um, obviously, people can't see because this is obviously a uh, a podcast. But this map behind you is like a lot of books, and <laughs> I know that you love your books. Um, I remember one stage your your room kind of looked like a a library that's kind of a bomb hit off. Like there's books <laughs> everywhere. Um, now it's a it's a lot better. Um, I want to know who are your favorite writers and how have they influenced you in regards to your theology, preaching, and just your everyday Christian living? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, it's a good question. Um, my favorite writers uh, include um, uh, John Piper. Um, yep. So he's probably influenced me more than any other Christian writer. Um, uh, he brought a lot of joy into my Christian life. Um, uh, I grew up thinking, not because I was taught this, but I just made the mistake of thinking that what being a Christian was was mostly about suppressing what you wanted to do. Um, and then I picked up this book at a Katoomba convention. I'd never heard of this guy, and it was called Desiring God, and I flicked over over the um, on the back cover, I'm looking at it right now, and in big letters it said, "The pursuit of pleasure is not optional; it is essential." And the book was subtitled "Meditations of a Christian Hedonist or Pleasure Seeker." And um, I opened the page, and John Piper said, um, uh, "Our duty is to delight in God." to have joy in God. And he quoted C.S. Lewis who said, God does not find our desires too strong. He finds them too weak. And for some reason or other, that hit me with the force of a revelation because I'd spent my whole Christian life up to 20 years up to that point. I was, you know, I'd, I'd been a Christian my whole life, I guess, or from a very, very young age. And, um, uh, you know, felt like my desires were the problem. And John Piper was saying, um, you glorify God by enjoying him through the enjoyment of God. Um, and he said, the only way to put out the flame of sinful desire is through a greater flame of desire for God. This opened up a whole new way of being a Christian to me that um, being a Christian is the pursuit of pleasure, joy, and happiness in God. That's much more flavoursome, you know, delicious, and satisfying than the pleasure of being without God or the pleasure of sin. So from that moment on, I was hooked on John Piper um, for that reason, that he, he, more than any other person, I think, brought joy into my Christian life. And then I found him to be a very, very, very competent theologian and pastor as well. Mm. So that was life-changing for me. Uh, Philip Jensen, the Australian pastor, I enjoyed his uh, books um, very much. Um, 
Graham Goldsworthy's book, Gospel and Kingdom. He's an Australian Old Testament teacher, changed the way I read the Bible more than anything. So um, Gospel and Kingdom relates all the different parts of the Bible and uh, explains how Jesus is the culmination of the story of the Bible. Um, Tim Keller's books I've already Mm. mentioned um, are extremely helpful because um, I think Keller teaches us how to relate the gospel to modern day life and to culture and always brings it back to the grace of God. Um, Don Carson's books are very helpful and his commentaries are are very accurate. Um, My favourite philosopher is a guy named John McMurray. People won't be interested in that. Um, My favourite non-evangelical writers, you know, you should read writers outside your own tradition. Um, Reinhold Niebuhr is my favourite a non-evangelical Christian writer, and there's another guy called Jacques Ilal. Um, my favourite non-Christian writers, you should also read non-Christian writers. Um, some have great wisdom. I like an Englishman named Alan de Botton. Uh, he just writes um, kind of popular books about kind of popular level philosophy and life and work and marriage and things like that. And another guy called Theodore Dalrymple. Uh, that's his pen name. Um uh, he, he, I enjoy his books a lot. He writes about all sorts of interesting things. He's a retired doctor, and yeah. um, and and I find his books uh, really helpful too. But um, yeah, John Piper and Tim Keller, they're my uh, they're my go to boys. Yeah, yeah, and that's great. And so, do you like how do you go with with books? Is it just by recommendation, word of mouth? People say, "Oh, Matt, you know, you should listen, you should read this book," or or yeah, do you search it up on Google, like you know, top ten books of you know Christian faith or whatever? Yeah, I guess you might see something if you're flicking through a Christian catalog that mm-hmm. looks interesting. Um, uh, yeah, but friends recommend things, so yeah, I will try to read something if they if somebody recommends it. To yeah. Um, yeah, it's no chore to read a new book. Yeah, yeah. Great. That's good. And honestly, all that knowledge just oozes out your sermons, which is a great and which is, you know, the reason why I enjoy it. And a lot I know a lot of people enjoy uh your sermons just because of your knowledge. Uh so yeah, that's that's a good reason to read. Yeah. Um, I want to know a little bit more about you and your um not so much upbringing, but your early life, because from my understanding, uh, before being a, a, a minister, you were a teacher. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So I want to know uh, why. Yeah. Why did you decide to to study uh, to become a teacher and obviously you know work as a teacher for a little bit? But then, what prompted you to move into vocational ministry? Because that's uh, I think you were only a teacher for a couple of years before you moved yes. uh, into vocational ministry. Is that right? Yes. Well, I had really decided to study theology before I went into teaching. Okay. So I didn't really make a decision to leave teaching. Um, by the time I'd finished university, I hoped to only teach for a couple of years and then study theology. I didn't know that I would go into pastoral ministry. I just knew I wanted to, to study the Bible um, and that I'd probably end up in some kind of Christian ministry, but I wasn't sure what. Um, so teaching, uh, I was studying English and history at uni, so there's only so many things you can do. Um, and my best mate was studying to be a physics teacher, and he said, well, you ought to be a high school teacher. You know, think about it. And uh, it pays well straight out of uni. Um, 
it's a, it, it, you learn a bit about public speaking, relating to people. It's pretty scary when you start out teaching in a big public high school in Western Sydney. You know, you're really forced to trust God. Uh, you've got to stand on your own two feet if you're going to do Christian ministry in the school, which I did with other Christian teachers. Um, yeah, you meet all, all sorts of um, people from all different walks of life. So, uh, And you learn a little bit about education, the way people learn. So um, I wasn't a real teacher, if you know what I mean. Um, I wasn't a lifelong uh, teacher. It was something that I knew would be good for me before I went and and, and probably moved into Christian ministry. Uh, so how did I arrive at that decision? Mm. Um, yeah, I did not grow up thinking I'd be a, a pastor. I didn't start university thinking I'd be in Christian ministry. Um, yeah, I had no in- genuinely had no interest in that, um, but uh, got tapped on the shoulder, I guess, um, by uh, Tim Blenko, um, my mate, and... Uh, he was the first person, the first person my age to really, really take a serious interest in my Christian life. And um, he used to ask me how my walk with God is going, um, which I thought was a very strange question. You know, nobody had ever asked me that before. Um, and, uh, but it affected me deeply that he, he cared to ask. And, um, and he really just tapped me on the shoulder you know, I mean, sometimes it's just that tap on the shoulder and somebody says, you should think about this. You know, you might have uh, an ability to help people be, be um, mature disciples of Jesus. Now, you might have a gift for that. So that suggestion, once planted in the mind, um, stayed, stayed in there until it wouldn't go away. Um, and in the end, I came to the conclusion that if you could do Christian ministry, you probably should. You know, you didn't need a, ve- a very strong calling or a supernatural event. Um, mm. If you had a capacity to do it, you should because it's so important. Um, and I, I came to the conclusion that I probably could do it and therefore I should give it a go. Uh, mm. Out of all the things that I could do, why wouldn't I do that if I could? Mm. Um, you know, what could be, what could be um, time better spent than helping people uh, come to faith in, in Jesus? So... Yeah, you don't have to be great at it. You know, if you're competent enough, give it a go. So that that's what I ended up thinking. Yeah. Um, and thought, yeah, all right, I'll I'll give it a go. And if I'm no good, then that's fine. I, I won't be cut up about it. Um, but I I never felt like I had to do it, and mm. I never felt like it was the only thing that I could do with my life. It was um, if you got a capacity to do it, then you should. Okay. And have you um? I know you said that Tim Blanke kind of tapped you on the shoulder. Have you done the same to someone and said, hey, I reckon you should think about think about ministry or go to Bible college or, you know, potentially to go, you know, mm. become a pastor or a preacher. Have you had the opportunity to do that to someone else? Yes. Okay. Um, I think that's an important part of ministry too, um, to be on the lookout for people who um, might have a capacity for eldership, pastoral leadership, Bible teaching, hmm. um, to encourage them to explore that, at least maybe get themselves off to Bible college and, uh, and to affirm that. Um, absolutely. Yeah, we should be doing more of that. There, yeah. should be, there should be more tapping on the shoulder because it's really, I suspect most of the time that's how God leads people into ministry, by somebody else suggesting it. Otherwise, you just don't think about it. That's true. You know? Um, yeah, that's true. Or there's a lot of self-doubt 
And then I guess if someone goes and reaffirms that, that says, that's yeah. right, that's right. And you really shouldn't go into ministry unless you've got at least several people saying, mm. yeah, you should. Mm. Um, um, but if you've thought that about somebody, then, you know, especially if you're in pastoral leadership, then you ought to have a bit of an idea of who could do it. Um, uh, you, you ought to be. Um, so, yeah, I've had um, friends and young blokes and, and, uh, and others um, head off into ministry. That's been absolutely um, exhilarating to see. Yeah, fantastic. Um, now, overall, you know, I did send you some, some questions and you gave me some answers. Overall, you, you've nearly done 20 years of, of ministry, mm. uh, which I'm assuming maybe has flown by. Um, <laughs> and something that I've noticed, look, I only have 10, so I'm like, I'm not even that experienced as you. But as I get older, every year that's gone past in ministry, I noticed that uh, ministry is definitely not for the faint-hearted. You know, you hear stories where people start strong and they get burnt out, they finish, sin, whatever it is. Mm. So for you, what's been the key for yourself and maybe including your family as well in persevering in, in ministry for this long? Yep. Uh, well, the, the key to persevering in ministry for me is has been learning to apply the truth of justification by faith to my circumstance and to my emotional life. So Jesus justifies us by faith on account of all he has done. I'm justified through him. I'm not justified... Uh, by ministry. Well, my ministry and my performance as a Christian and as a person does not justify me before God. It does not earn his favour. Uh, Jesus does. Now, without that, I would have been crushed many times over in ministry. Um, that's how I've survived. I have to tell myself that um, what matters is um, him and not me. I guess in the first five years of ministry, the lesson that I learned, you were asking me about, about this also, Alicio, um, mm. and, I, and I gave it some thought, is, is that in the first five years of ministry, I think I really, my conclusion was that ego is death. Um, ego um, compares itself to others. Uh, ego gives in because you feel bad about yourself. Ego gets embarrassed about all the wrong things. Ego turns to self, not to God, for um, consolation. And I was so worked up in the first few years of ministry about my non-success and stuff like that, um, but it was all about what other people would think of me. You know, whether people would think that I was a good pastor or a good Christian um, or, or a failure, um, that was all ego. And, um, and you know, that, that really, um, you know, was nearly the death of me in, in, as far as ministry goes. So I think that when you, when you learn to, you need to learn to apply the doctrine of justification by faith to your situation and stop thinking that what you do for, for people 
or in the ministry is what justifies your existence um, as a person because it doesn't. Jesus does. As for what's helped the family persevere, I don't know. You'd have to ask them. Um, yeah. Probably has something to do with me being a great husband and father. And, yeah, yeah, you know, for sure. That, the perfect. Yeah, the perfect guy. That'll do That's it. That's right. I yeah. suspect it really has a lot to do with Deborah's capacity for stoicism mm. and uh, endurance and mm. uh, uh, getting back up when you've been knocked down, that kind of thing. But joy, you know, in the end, I mean, I go back to, you know, what the, the change that came over me in those years, 20 years ago or more, um, you know, learning that the Christian life ought to be the life of joy, that it's the it's a life of a thousand new beginnings. You know, when Jesus says, if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. So living with that kind of liberty and freedom, um, uh, knowledge of forgiveness and acceptance with God that can't be uh, taken away. Um, you know, Tim Keller says you're, you're more sinful than you than you could ever uh, have thought, but you're, you're more loved than, than you could ever imagine. That sort of stuff brings a lightness of heart and, um, and, and, and allows you to keep going through the, the difficult times. But don't think that you're justified by what mm. you do in your ministry. You're not. You're justified by Jesus. And if you can apply that to your, yourself emotionally, psychologically each day, then that's what you need to do. And is that what you do in the sense of um, do you, is, it a, is it a daily thing? Because I know of pastors yeah. that would say, for example, they wake up in the morning, they have a statement that they repeat, trying to ingrain it in themselves to remind them about their sinful nature or their ego, whatever, but also mm. remind them of who God is. Is that mm. something that you kind of practice or is that just whenever, you know, sin creeps in or you notice that your ego is getting a bit puffed that you kind of say, oh, I've got to snap out of it. I've got to remind myself who I am. Yep. Yeah. For me, it's it's um, for me, it's it's my reaction to cynicism and despair. Mm. So, um, um, because uh, that's where I go when I focus on the ego. I, I go less to a place of pride. This it's a reverse kind of pride, okay? Because it's still making yourself out to be the center of the universe, but. You know, I go to a place of cynicism and despair and think, well, if, if, if this is all up to me, then, you know, then the game is lost and, um, and the gospel's not going to reach people and, um, and nothing's going to happen. Um, and, you know, I shouldn't be doing this and so on and so on and all that negativity and that kind of thing and that kind of depress, depressive way of thinking. So then I, you know, I literally pray you know, thank you, Lord, that I'm justified because of what you have done. Thank you that I'm justified by faith, not by works. Uh, help me to find my identity in what you have done for me, um, not in what I think I will achieve for you, things like that. So I literally pray that, you know, um, when, I, when I feel overwhelmed or overcome um, by the situation or I feel very cynical I feel very um, a negative. I feel like uh, good things are never going to happen. God or God will never use me, um, and and that kind of thing. So that's uh, yeah, that's that's more of a kind of a daily prayer when those feelings um, come up. Well, thanks for that. Thanks for that honesty and kind of sharing a bit of an insight of your life. Mm. I think that's um, yeah, that's great. Um, 
again, coming back to the questions I sent you before, you know, uh, before this recording, uh, one of the things that I noticed is that you said is that you're quite passionate uh, to see the local church as a vehicle for getting God's grace into the lives into the lives of other people. Uh, would it be right if you elaborate a little bit more about that and your passion? Yeah, I mean. I'm surprised that God uses the local church because the local church seems like a very unwieldy tool. You know, mm. uh, there's there's too many people in it. <laughs> um, uh, you know, people people are we're such a problem. You know, why would God use this this thing that's essentially just a bunch of people, very flawed, broken, uh, lazy? people well because that's how he's going to get glory you know he'll show so that he can, he can use even the broken vessels and these busted up people um these recovering sinners um as the instruments of his great grace and goodness and in their ordinary lives so yeah i'm 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 passionate about the church because i'm shocked that god would use the local church um, you know, you could think of all sorts of other ways he might get his job done, but but he he loves these small clusters of Christians, you know, in millions of places around the world. Um, so, yeah, uh, it's people who love Jesus, you know, not things or institutions, and mm -hmm. um, that's why the local church is special because it's full of people. Um, who, who have been overcome by the sheer grace and the goodness of Jesus. Um, it's in the local church that you will get to know people who have been changed by loving Jesus. Um, and the local church is the vehicle for getting that grace into the lives of other, other people. You know, really extraordinary things happen in people's lives when they live under the, the reign of Jesus. They change the way they live, the way they speak the way they spend their money the way they spend their time their holidays um uh the, 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 they they can find joy peace hope um jesus does things to people that nobody else uh does um and yeah that's why i'm passionate about about the the local church um yeah it seems like a very very ordinary thing if you've ever spent any time in it um but that's what god does you know um jesus moment of shining glory is in his crucifixion so in the most horrible and ordinary of moments um you know god's plan is fulfilled his his grace is there if you can see it and, and in the very ordinary, broken, half-hearted lives of God's people, the whole purpose of God is achieved in the world. So you, know, you can't help but think of the church as uh, special when, when you really believe that's what's going on. And if you step back um, and, and look at people's lives over the years and over the decades as you minister with them and, and to them, then you see those kind of changes uh, happening and uh, i want to i want to be close to that you know i want to see those changes and be involved in that and and walk with people through all the 
all the ups and downs of their life. Um, that's the really exciting thing, to be involved, to be connected, because God made us to live in relationship with him and, and other people. And the local church, that is the forum for that. Um, so that's why my passion for the local church has grown. When I thought, you know, when I was studying out in ministry, I'd probably teach theology at a Bible college or I'd be an itinerant speaker or something like that. Um, but um, uh, but my time as a student pastor watching a fellow named Barry Mitchell um, live and move and work and, and walk with um, uh, people made me realise, well, hang on a minute, this is where the action is. The local church is where that is where the action is. That's where you get the closest to um, what God's doing and uh, to people. So if you want to get in the thick and if you want to get in the jungle, into the into the mud and into the into the sunshine, then the local church is where Mm. it's where it's going to be. Um, Mm. And so, yeah, that that um, I don't think that zeal has has left me. You know, to to be involved in the local church and a pastor uh, mm-hmm. in that forum. That's great. And Barry, correct me if I'm wrong. That was when you were a student pastor. Is that correct? Like 20, mm. 18 years ago, yeah. and that's really affected you ever since. Like yeah, you still absolutely. have that passion and zeal today. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I even when I was a student pastor, I didn't know I'd go into pastoral ministry. I thought that was mm. way down the list. But um, Barry's uh, work as a pastor at Clinton Park Baptist Church. Um, small Baptist church here in Sydney. Um, yeah, I probably probably within four or five months, you know, uh, um, I'd caught the bug for pastoral mm. ministry to to be a pastor, to be a faithful under shepherd of Jesus. Um, all of a sudden, that that was the thing to to be and uh, and to do. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I have no intention of um, of doing anything else at this stage. Yeah, no, fantastic. Well, I'm glad that yeah, you caught that bug because mm. you know it's great, you know, and that you know again that passion what you what you've just spoken about again, you know, reflects upon uh, as a senior pastor here at this church, and I'm sure the congregation you know can agree with that. Hope so. Um, yeah, no, definitely. So, thanks for that. Um, yeah, thanks for that, Matt. Uh, last question um, that I want to ask, and I usually ask this question for for most, if not all, of my hosts. Mm-hmm. Um, listeners out there, potentially they are considering ministry or they're in ministry. Uh, what's one piece of advice you would give to them about your ministry journey? Oh, it's easy. It's easy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my real piece of advice uh, I guess would be, you know, if you're gonna if, if you're going to go into ministry, um, uh, or you're new into ministry, remember that you know you you just want to make it all about Jesus. So don't forget that it's all about Him, uh, and make it your intention, uh, your, your ambition to make it all about Him. It's about His fame, His glory, His work. It's not about you at the end of the day. It's not even about the church. It's not even about the world, though it is for the church and it is for the world. It's mm-hmm. about him. So make it about him. Um, you know, He's the reason you do ministry. He's the reason you do everything. Um, he's worthy of it. Um, you know, so his glory, his goodness, um, you know, don't do it for any other reason. You know, 
don't do it just because you want to feel satisfied or you want to be made to feel important. Don't do it because you don't have anything else to do. Um, don't just do it because somebody else said you should do it or you should think about it. Um, you know, consult your zeal about the person of Jesus and his love and, uh, and say, yeah, if somebody's willing to pay me some money to be all about him all day, every day in a community of people, then, mm. then you know, if, if, if that appeals to you um, and people can confirm that, then, then do it. Um, just remember, you know, I guess my only other piece of advice is to remember those fundamental gospel patterns. You know, the cross comes before the resurrection. Suffering comes before glory. That's always the way it is in the Bible. Um, and, uh, and God's glory works through lowliness, humility. Um, Jesus' greatness is, was his willingness to serve, um, to submit himself to the Father, to be lowly, to be a servant. So there shouldn't be anything grandiose um, in your ministry. Um, yeah, it, it's true, the old cliche that um, uh, the, uh, they, the, I think the cliche is that um, you, you are the servant of the congregation, but they are not your master. Okay, So you are the servant of the congregation, but they are not your master. Jesus is the master, not the congregation. Okay, um, but ministry is service, and so um, if you're thinking ministry, then have it fixed in your mind that you need to be a servant leader. That God's goodness is is revealed in lowliness. Um, you know, um, if if you're not interested in doing the hard yards um, with people and the lowly tasks and the things that are not noticed, then then, then that's not good. Uh, don't do it because it feels good to preach a sermon or be up front or, or whatever. You know, if you, you, what's, what's good is helping um, the believers. What's good is stacking chairs. You know, what's good is, um, 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 you know, calling people up when you don't really want to. Um, what's good is getting beaten about the head by people in the congregation who don't like what you're doing because uh, that's good. That'll bring you down a peg. Um, all the suffering uh, that you might go through um, is is worth it. So, you know, cross before resurrection. Make that your pattern. Realise that the, the way of suffering is the way of Jesus. You've got to take up your cross. Um, and if you can go into ministry with that <laughs> that expectation, then um, then you know you'll you'll do well and you'll be able to handle whatever disappointments come. And uh, when the when the glory comes and and the joy comes and you see people changed and saved, then you'll be ready to, to give glory to him. So make it all about Jesus. Um, otherwise, uh, you know, go and do something else because we don't need you um, ministering to God's people if it's, if it's not all about him. That is, that is awesome. That is a really good answer, Matt. And uh, I'm sure people are listening today and, um, yeah, hopefully they can, you know, reflect upon that and see yeah. their true heart because, like you said, it's really important. If they're in it for the wrong reason, there's no point for them yeah. to be in ministry because that just causes too many problems. Sure um, does. Yeah. Look, Matt, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Pleasure, pleasure. Now get back to work. Yeah, we'll do. We'll do. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Cheers. 
All right. Well, that was my interview with Matt Arkapor, and uh, I thought that was great. You know, uh, Matt's knowledge and insight and wisdom uh, really impacted me. And uh, I think for myself, one of the things that really was powerful when I was I was talking to him was uh, the power of influence. Uh, he talked about you know the books he reads and the authors and the preachers who really uh, influenced his life and uh, i think that's that's awesome and that's amazing and something that we need to realize that you know it's important to be influenced uh, not just by certain people but you know by multiple people and multiple ways books or podcasts or uh, sermons uh, so important especially in ministry but the other thing the other thing that uh, I found quite interesting is the power of friends and uh, he talked about his friend Tim how I kind of tapped him on the shoulder and said hey I reckon you know God can do something in your life and I think uh, for us we we probably uh, either not open to it or we kind of ignore it and I think that's something that we're just going to be open to we're saying well look who, who's around us who has God placed in our lives that we should encourage and help um, and, and, and potentially even develop so they can kind of fulfill God's calling now before i finish i want to remind you that if you did like this episode um, or just like this podcast in general please feel free to uh, share it with your friends or your family and uh, please follow this podcast as well uh, just through your uh, you know through spotify or apple music or whatever it is thank you so much for listening and i'll catch you all next time Bye.